Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from his Son, Jesus Christ, who has risen, just as he said. There are some things that people don't like to talk about. Death is one of those things. Oh, we can talk about historical deaths or video game deaths or things like that, but when death itself comes close to us or someone that we love, we tend to get uncomfortable. We avoid directly addressing the issue sometimes, if possible. But then sometimes we get nudged into it. Perhaps a child asks a question that cannot be sidestepped. A question like, how come Uncle Jim had to die? And then we're stuck. Now some people might say, well, Uncle Jim had to die because everyone has to die. Death makes us sad, but it's a natural part of life. But we know better than that, don't we? God didn't put death into his creation as a natural part of it. He didn't intend his creatures to break down and to suffer and to die. That's not the kind of God that he is. It was Adam and Eve that brought death into the world when they sinned, because death is like sin's shadow. Where we find sin, death is inevitable to follow. No, death is not natural. But in this sin-broken world, it most certainly is inevitable. In our sermon reading for today, Jesus talks about the necessity of death. He himself had to die if he was going to take away the sins of the world. And his followers, we Christians, we also have to die in a little different way if we're going to be his followers. But best of all, when Jesus returns on the last day, death will die. We read from John chapter 12, verses 26, or 20 through 26. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. These are the words. May the Holy Spirit bless our study of them. Amen. Yes, Jesus had to die. If he was going to pay for our sins and rescue us from an eternity of being separated from the Father and from the Spirit and himself, then he had to die. 
That was part of the payment for our sins. But his death was not the end. Jesus, in this conversation with these Greeks, he alludes to his resurrection. You know, if a person didn't know anything about gardening, you know, you might see a person pushing seeds into the ground. It might look like a little funeral, resigning little dead things to the earth. But a gardener knows that these seeds have died so that they can rise up green and full of life. Each seed entombed in the dark earth will rise up into a new plant, producing a head of grain, some for eating, some for planting. Usually, life comes and then death, but sometimes death comes and then life. Hopefully, the Greeks remembered Jesus' words in the days to come. Jesus spoke these words on Tuesday of Holy Week. On Friday, he died and was buried. But like a golden kernel of wheat planted in the ground, Jesus rose up on the third day, on the first Easter Sunday, never to die again. His death was necessary, but life followed. Life for himself and life for all who trust in him, all who are connected to him by simple faith that he is their savior. In him we stand truly forgiven in full. And now, our approaching death, our physical death, has been completely robbed of its terror. For Jesus promises us a resurrection like his to glory and life that doesn't end. But before our physical death, there is another death that Christians have to experience. In fact, it's the only kind of death that we really want to go through. When a person comes to faith in Jesus, a mortal wound is, is given to their inner sinful nature. It begins to bleed. And that sinful traitor inside begins to die. The Apostle Paul talks about this in his letter to the Galatians. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with it. By simple faith in Jesus, dead sinners become living children of God. And as God's sons and daughters, we have the power to crucify our sinful nature inside. And we have to, because it isn't going to leave us in this life, and it will constantly try, this dying creature inside of us, this traitor, it will constantly try to grab hold of the steering wheel and take control again. For this reason, our death is necessary the ongoing death of our sinful self inside. Jesus talks about this in verse 25 of our sermon reading. He says, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. 
You know, there was once a rich young man who approached Jesus during Jesus' ministry, and he asked Jesus what he had to do in order to get into heaven. And when Jesus told him, well, follow God's commands, the young man claimed that he had, amazingly. Ever since he was a mere boy, he said, I have kept them. The Bible tells us that Jesus looked at him, loved him, and replied, one thing you lack, go sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's eyes faltered, and he left, sad, because he was a rich young man. And Jesus had shown him quite clearly that he had not kept the commandments of God, that he had broken the very first one, because his riches were his God. Part of crucifying our old sinful nature is putting God above the things that we own. But God also calls us to put him above the people that we know and love, even people that he commands us to care for. Listen to Jesus' strong words about faith and family from Luke chapter 14. There it says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He turned to them and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, if he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, everyone who sees it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build, but was not able to finish. Or what king, as he goes out to confront another king in war, will not first sit down and consider if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? And if he is not able, he sends out a delegation and asks for terms of peace while his opponent is still far away. So then, any one of you who does not say farewell to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, like I said, in other places, Jesus teaches us to be compassionate towards others kind and humble and gentle, patient. The Holy Spirit directs us to bear one another's burdens and to forgive each other as God has forgiven us in Christ. So how can he tell us to hate our own family? In the section we just read, Jesus, I think what he's doing, he's using that word hate to emphasize that there is no gray area here There's only one throne on the top of our heart. There is to be no compromise there. I think we get the point. It isn't right to love the gift 
more than the one who gave it. It isn't right to love even our family more than the gracious creator who has blessed us with them. Jesus even teaches us to love God more than we love ourselves. In Matthew 22, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, it's clear that God blesses us in this life. He wants us to enjoy the things that he sends to us. Otherwise, he wouldn't give us springtime and summer and friends and family and good food and drink and vacations and projects and art and music and a million other things. He wants us to enjoy life, but always with heaven in mind, always knowing that this place here is not our ultimate home. This is not our pure self. This is a temporary body that will decay and fall apart in time. This is a broken creation where sin and ugliness stain everything. But when Christ returns to this broken place to judge the world and to gather in his people into the Father's house forever, on that great day, a good many things are going to change. And amazingly, on that day, death will die. Listen again to verse 26 from our sermon reading. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If we would serve Jesus, we must follow him. Now, he's already brought us to his cross. He's shown us the giant pile of sins that we've amassed. He's shown us that he was blasted for those sins. In our place, he was ravaged and torn. He was abandoned and killed so that those sins stand forgiven. Before we ever thought to serve Jesus, he came and served us. And he has led us to the cross to see our salvation. If we would serve Jesus, we must follow him. Moving on from the cross, we must follow the master through life. We must walk in his ways. You know, sometimes I think that Christians can look at the cross too much. Probably have to explain that a little bit. You could misunderstand me. Maybe you can imagine this situation. Christ has led us unbelieving sinners to his cross to see what he has done for us to take away our sins. He's brought us to faith so that we trust in him and forgiveness through his blood. And then, moving on, he begins to march on down the road, leading us. And he wants us to follow. He guides us with his word and is present with us always. But sometimes this group of Christians that are following after him, sometimes some of us peel off the side down into one of the ditches on this side or on that side, ditches of sin. 
And at that point, Christ calls out. He says, hey, you're off the path. Get back up here. You're going to hurt yourself or worse. But sometimes those who are wandering down in the ditch, they keep looking back and they say, no, don't worry. Don't worry. I can see your cross. I know what you did. All the while walking backwards into that ditch of sin and ignoring the Savior who is leading them down the path. It's great to focus on the cross of Christ where our sins were paid for. But if we do that while ignoring the living Lord that is calling out and guiding us with his word, that isn't real Christianity, is it? Just to walk backwards into sin and ignore our Savior going, oh, but I know, the cross, the cross. That's not following Christ, that's what we do. In his last talks with his disciples before his death, Jesus told them, if you love me, hold on to my commands. He told them, the one who has my commands and holds on to them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. And he said, the one who does not love me does not hold on to my words. The word that you are hearing is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. These things come from John chapter 14. If we would serve the Savior, we must follow him. Now, this isn't to say that Jesus won't come down into the ditch and pull us out of the thorns and away from the sharp rocks that are cutting us up down in that ditch of sin. He will, because he loves us foolish sheep, and he'll do just that. But not all return after leaving Christ. Better never to leave him. Better to keep hearing his voice and seeing him on the path ahead. Better to serve at his side. Where I am, there my servant will be also. In the last evening of fellowship before Jesus' death, he also told his disciples this. He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Where I am, there my servant will be also. When at last we enter the Father's house, death will not be with us. Death will be resigned to hell with the evil angels and the faithless humans. Like it says in Revelation 20, death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And from 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In heaven, we will be free from death. And even more amazing than that, Jesus tells us that we will be honored by the Father 
for our service to His Son. Despite our pathetic, backsliding, sin-tainted service to Christ, we will stand before the Almighty as an honored servant of the Prince of Heaven. As Jesus said, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, Jesus once told a parable to illustrate this. I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but at the end of it, he says these words. He says, Blessed are those servants whom the Master will find watching when he comes. Amen, I tell you. He will dress himself and have them recline at the table. And he will come and serve them. This is the welcome that waited on the other side for those early century Christians that were thrown to the lions, for those Christians who were burned at the stake, for those Christians who simply died in faith, looking to Jesus as their hope. What grace the Father has given us through his Son. Because of Jesus, our risen Savior, we can keep on fighting against our inner sinful traitor. Because of Jesus, our risen Savior, our final death will be followed with life. And when death and our sinful nature fade away permanently, we will find ourselves surrounded by light and glory in the presence of the triune God, to praise Him for all eternity. So when a child asks you about death, don't shy away from the question. Say what you know to be true from the Bible. Well, Uncle Jim had to die because all sinners die, and we're all sinners. I'm not sure where everyone's going to go because I can't read hearts. But I do know this. Those who trust in Jesus are forgiven their sins and they go where death can't follow. They go to be with Jesus in heaven. You see, without Christ, there really isn't comfort in the face of death. All we can do is kind of try to avoid the subject and hide our fear away a little bit. But with Christ, death is stripped of its power completely. As sinners, we might still fear it a bit because of pain and just our own frailty. But as we grow closer to Christ, that fear softens, and He can erase it altogether. Early in my ministry, I remember sitting with the an older gentleman, part of a congregation in our fellowship out in Washington. And I asked him, because it seemed like he was getting close to death, I asked him if he was, you know, feeling any fear because of that. He laughed at me. <laughs> this was a well-seasoned Christian who knew his Savior and had no fear whatsoever of stepping through that door. This is what Christ does for us. He teaches us that even if we fear death, bigger than that, death fears Christ. Death is a necessity, but because of Jesus, only for a little while.
Amen.